Yes, it's great to be able to come and preach God's Word to you. Um, it's the greatest desire of my life to preach the Word of God. I'm never happier than when I'm doing it. And the reason is because the Word of God gives life and light and hope to people that hear it and that read it and that live by it. And it never ceases to amaze me how God works amongst us in this way. Uh, I'm always amazed that I sit in my office and uh, I say to the Lord, well, you know what, do I tell the next congregation that I share God's word with? And God will sometimes immediately tell me, other times he tests me as it goes along, Monday, Tuesday, still don't know, on Wednesday and Thursday. And there have been times when on Saturday night, (laughs) the, the night before, I still have no idea. I have thousands of sermons in my study, so, you know, I could uh, pick any one I wanted. But I've learned that if you don't take God's word, and that by that I mean what God wants you to take, then you might as well not go at all. Because when you take God's word, then it's fitting for the occasion. And so I'm always thrilled at the number of times I've gone to a church and God has laid something on my heart, And then we've got to the door at the end and someone grips my hand and nearly sort of twists my fingers off and said, you don't know how much I needed to hear that today because that's what I've been asking God to show me. And, you know, your sermon has, as it were, driven the nail in as it should be. And uh, that's happened through the years. Uh, I know um, there are times when some of those occasions are more exciting than others, Uh, Like one day in a a church further down the coast on a Sunday morning, a young couple came in, strangers. They weren't from these parts. And they told us that um, they'd come away from their church for the weekend to ask God in the quietness of um, a retreat, uh, what did God want them to do with their lives? They didn't want family interference. They didn't want interference from friends or other church members. They were coming apart. And they said, we said, Lord, lead us to where you want us to go on this Sunday morning. And so they passed and they saw that there was a service on and they popped in. And um, I preached God's word. They couldn't wait to get hold of my hand at the back and they said, now you've got to let us tell you our story. They told me their story. And that couple today is serving overseas. He's a missionary pilot, and she's a doctor. And it's just amazing how God just works in people's hearts. But he always does it, not through me or some other clever preacher. He does it through his word. So we're going to read God's word this evening. And then I want to speak to you from it on the subject of the importance of standing firm in your faith. And we're going to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and we are going to read uh, just a few verses from the beginning of that chapter so that you will get the gist of what this text is all about. So Isaiah chapter 7 begins like this. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin and Aram And Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, 
So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the sons of and the, and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, "Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king." over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only reason. Within 65 years Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, to really understand the full meaning and power of this text, you have to go back into the past and see what happened and how they all came, the people and the prophet, to this point uh, and in time when the prophet received this word from the Lord to give to these people who were so frightened and shaken. Isaiah is said to be one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And as you are aware, he reigned not through the reign of one king, but through the reign of four kings. And so it all began when a man called Uzziah was on the throne in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And in that year that Uzziah died, uh, the Bible tells us that Isaiah the prophet had an amazing vision into heaven. And there he saw God on his throne. And so, of course, he died and there had to be a succession. And the succession was taken up by his king. Uh, by his son. And of course his son uh, ruled in just the same way in a sense as his father did. Jotham his name was. And one of the great things about Uzziah was that he was a good king. I mean it was said at the time that to live in the kingdom when Uzziah was the king was a great thing. There were no shortages of anything as such. In his kingdom, the borders were secure, there was peace, he invented many things that made people's life easier, like water aqueducts and other things like this, so it was a good place to be. But then, of course, this good life that they got used to, because remember that uh, um, Uzziah reigned for quite a long time in the kingdom, 
But now there was the danger that as he had died, would the enemies find this the right opportunity to come and attack the land of Judah? The people were quite concerned. But one thing, of course, that Uzziah did was he kept the things of God in their place. The only mistake I believe he made was that in making sure God was worshipped in the right way, he forgot, or if he didn't forget, he intended to leave the high places where worship of other kinds was done, and he didn't destroy them as he should have done. So maybe that's the reason why he suffered from leprosy. And even though he was the king, he ended up living in a separate house, unable to appear before his people because of the disease that covered his body. And so Jotham, in a sense, had a, a sort of a introduction to uh, running the country because he was the one who had to go back and forth to the parliament, as it were, uh, with his father's wishes and commands because his father wasn't allowed to go personally. So it's not surprising that then when Jotham got to the throne, he too ruled the way that his father did. But in the same way as his father did not do away with the high places, neither did he. He still left them there. And you know, my friends, when we have things among God's people that are not right, when we have other issues that clog out the purity and the holiness of the word of God, sure, as one realizes this, at some time, unless we destroy these places in our fellowships, in our worship, in our day of life, what happens? They begin to creep in on us. And Satan uses them to start destroying that bond and that fellowship and that relationship that we should be having with God. And so, you know, it's no good saying, sort of, when you're a Christian, well, you know, because before I was a Christian, I had a problem with drink. So, um... I tell you what, um, I won't get rid of it. I'll keep all the drink I've got and drunk in the house and we'll just leave it out of sight. Is that the best way to deal with a drink problem? No. The way that you do it is you get the drink you haven't drunk and you pour it down the drain and then you give the, the bottles to the environmental collectors because you don't want that temptation in your home. I remember a dear friend of mine uh, who works amongst alcoholics, drug addicts and what have you, going to this uh, Christian event. And uh, the idea was that she was going to take with her some of these people who'd been converted, changed by Christ, whose lives had been changed. And they got to this place, and the first thing that they saw and she hadn't noticed it, was that inside everybody that was coming into the event was being given a glass of wine. And one of them tapped her on the shoulder and said, Edna, we ain't going in there. We're not giving our testimony in there. Why, why, why is that? She said, look. They said, look, they've got glasses of wine. It took us years to get out of the grip of alcohol, and you want us to go in there? No way. And they walked out. And I understand that when 
The people that organized the evening realized what they had done. They confessed that they had learned a very powerful lesson that night because at the end of the day, this was not a question of is it right to drink, is it wrong to drink as a Christian? The question was when people who have been delivered from years of abusing such things, the last thing you want is to encourage them again to continue. And so, of course, we need to get rid of these things in our Christian life, in our church fellowships, that are, in a sense, other forms of worship, other ways of living, so that, indeed, God's word is protected and cared for. So, Uzziah and Jotham, they omitted to do that, So is it surprising that then when we come to the end of Jotham's reign, and Jotham is succeeded by his son Ahaz, is it surprising to read that Ahaz started to go wrong? That his leadership of the people was not pleasing to God. It was far from it. And when you go home, you read on in those chapters that talk about Ahaz, And the things he did were not only wrong, they were abhorrent to God. So is it surprising that this king now, who was not putting God in the center of all that should be, is finding himself under fire? There is a threat. He's being attacked by other kings and that the kingdom is going to be overthrown. And indeed, they meant what they said. Because we read in that uh, portion that they came and tried to overtake Jerusalem. They tried to conquer it and destroy it. But it, it didn't work. They couldn't do it. And so then, here we are now in the reign of Ahaz, when the standards of holiness in the nation have begun to slip, that there is problems not only in the kingdom, there are problems outside. And I tell you this, my friends, it is easy to deal with problems outside, either in your personal life or in your family life or in your workplace, when everything within is fine. You see, it's easy to defend the fort when you stand on solid ground. But when you stand on rocky ground, how can you, how can you really defend whatever you want to defend? We love that old hymn, don't we, which says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. And of course, in the New Testament, we we know that when Paul is speaking to the early church about standing for Christ, he tells us that we need to put on the whole armor of God. And that then when we've done all that, we can stand and we can stand secure. So here we are in the reign of Ahaz, and this is what the people are facing. And so God, in his great mercy, comes along through the prophet Isaiah, and he gives him a word for the people at this time of great distress and also of great sinfulness in the nation. And what I love about Isaiah is, I think it's in chapter 8, he says in the beginning that God came and spoke to him 
And he said, and his hand was heavy upon me. In other words, God was uh, saying, I suppose, listen, stay there a minute, Isaiah. I want to tell you something. Because this prophet heard God speak to him so many times. And here he comes with a message for Ahaz and the people of Judah. And the message is this. Stand firm in your faith. Because if you don't, you will not stand at all. And so the challenge to us all this night is, are we standing firm in our faith? You know, are we still believing like we did when we first believed? Are we still trusting in the promises of God? Or are we asking everybody under the sun to pray for us because we've got a problem? Do you know, I found that when I have problems, the shortest cut to finding the answer is to drop on my own knees and pray. Not ring all the family round and say, will you pray? We do that, and that's a good thing. But the first thing to do is to fall on your knees yourself and say, Lord, I need your help. Please come and help me now. And so the word was very clear. It couldn't be mistranslated because God spelled it out. He said, look, Ahaz, in a sense, I'm your God. I am eternal. I know all things. And these things that are making you shake like leaves on a tree in the wind, you don't need to worry about them. Be calm. Be calm. Because these things are not going to pass. They are not going to come. You know, I said this morning to a congregation that I think are as perplexed as most of us about Brexit. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's gone on in our parliament. Cannot all those learned people understand one simple thing? That God will have his way whatever they do. It seems they can't. And after all this time, they are still unable to agree. And many of the people in our land today are seriously worried about this matter. But God comes to us in our day and generation. And from his word, he says, look, don't worry about such things as this. God's will and purpose will always be done. That's why we pray the prayer, don't we, that Jesus taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it will. Men may have, they say, God says in his word, (laughs) but he has the last word. And so God is giving Ahaz a very clear opportunity to stop worrying, to stop being fearful, and in place of that, to be calm and to be able to lead the nation in the right way. Because under his reign, it could not be said that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Because he didn't. But you know, God is always faithful in all he does. And of course, if you read on, you then come to the fourth king, Hezekiah. And the Bible says about him that he was a king who did right in the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. He was a king who pleased God in what he did. In fact, it says of Hezekiah in the scriptures, it said there was no king like him in Judah. No one came up to 
his standard of serving God and leading his nation. So God, God dealt with Ahaz, and I'm sure that God will deal with the Ahazes of our day and generation, who may be are pulling the church of God away from the way we should go. But what do we do? How do we cope with this? How do we begin to get the strength and to stand firm? Well, there are three things that I just want to leave for you very quickly. The first thing that we need to do, we need to hear the word of God. You may say, well, yes, of course, we hear it. Of course we hear God's word. Do you? How much of your life every day do you, do you spend reading the Bible? It's a challenge. I know that some years ago, many preachers were quite embarrassed because they were asked to fill in a questionnaire about how often they prayed, how often they read the Bible. It was done by the British and Foreign Bible Society, who later announced the sad results are that many men of the cloth admitted they didn't read the Bible much at all. And yet the Bible says of itself, it is a word and a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And yet we can skip out into the town and remember to take everything with us and maybe not even read the verse of scripture before we go our way. So the first thing we need to do if we are going to stand firm in our faith is to read the word of God. And not just read it, but hear it. And as you know, in our society, there are many ways to hear God's word. You can hear it on the radio. You can hear it on the television, on Christian channels. You can often hear it in other ways, through magazines that are Christian-based. You can hear God's word. And you know, the Bible says people out there will never know about Christ unless they can hear God's word. And that's why today there are Christian missionaries that go to the far ends of the earth at great discomfort. Why? To make sure that people hear God's word. And of course, that brings me now to one of my favorite hobby horses of this time. And that is the sad fact that many churches do not have a Bible study anymore. You see, my friends, people like me and others in my generation... We are what we are today because of Bible study. We were brought up in our Christian life that there was a night in the week when we had Bible study. And on that night you would hear God's word preached, expounded, and you could ask all the questions at the end that you wanted to. And that's how we learned and that's how we grew. To love God and to be more like him was by God's word. And if ever there is a need today for us to reinstall that activity in our church life and in our private life, it is now. We need to hear the word of God. I mean, how would you like to live in a home where the rest of the family never spoke to you? In other words, yes, that's my mum, that's my dad, that, those are my brothers and sisters. Oh, yes, and they're my cousins. But no one ever speaks to me. I think today's society would say that family was pretty dysfunctional. And as you know, we've been fighting with those sort of problems for years now where 
The children come home from school. One's in one bedroom on the phone. The other one is perhaps watching the television. The family never eat together. They are very rarely together. And they don't speak much at all. And maybe the church has begun to begin to be like that too. You see, we need to hear God's word. And you know, sometimes you will hear God's word from someone else. You will hear God's word from another Christian. Maybe you've gone to the doctors, for example. And that day you're feeling a bit nervous because you've got all sorts of things that could be wrong with you in your mind. And then what do you do? You see this, that in the doctors there's someone else that you know who's a Christian. And in some strange way, you just talk to them and you just share a word that God may put in your heart. And then off they go and you go your way. And then sometime later they say, Hi, nice to see you again. Ah, yes, remember that time in the doctors when you gave me that little word or that word of encouragement? Well, you, you, you really don't understand how much that changed my day. It helped me to understand that all was going to be well. We must hear the word of God. But the second thing we must do is we must read it. We must read God's word. Not just hear it, but read it. That's the great story, isn't it, about the famous Welsh girl Mary Jones. She heard the word in chapel, but she hadn't got a copy of her own to read. So she went to a farmhouse to read a Bible that a farmer had. And then for years she saved up to have enough money to buy a Bible for herself. And she walked all these miles barefooted to the town of Bala to purchase a Bible. You see, we need to read the word of God. Just like when we went on a journey before, we, we would get a map out and read it and find out that somehow it didn't make much difference to what we thought before. But we read it. And often, when there was a, a holdup in the traffic we found that the map gave us another way, a way to avoid the holdup and still get to our destination. We need to read it. I know many people I've heard say that uh, in the days of MFI, (laughs) you know, self-assembled furniture, they would almost tear their hair out trying to put the wardrobe up and what have you. But you know, an interesting survey was done, and they were asked, a lot of MFI customers were asked, did you read the instructions? No. (laughs) Well, how can you expect to put it up correctly if you don't read the instructions? It's like a man told me that he thought he knew all about his car engine, and um, he uh, dismantled it and then put it back together without reading the instructions, and found he'd almost got it ready to um, run again, And he found something on the floor. And where did that come from? And he said, you know, the lesson that day was a big one. Read the instructions and then you'll know that that part was needed to go in so that the car would run again. So we need to hear it. We need to read it. And finally, we need to embrace it. Now, all you loving people here know that, especially if you look back to your younger days, When you came to see the girlfriend that you hadn't seen for a long time, you didn't sort of get off the train and say, Hello, darling. How are you? No, you hugged them. 
You embraced them. You held them tight. And you didn't want to let them go. And that's what we are required to do with God's word. We are required to embrace it. What does the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And maybe God has spoken to us recently from his word. We've heard it and maybe he spoke to us when we read it. But what he said to us, have we embraced it? You see, Ahaz hadn't embraced the word of God. Even though God said to him, look, it won't happen, all will be well, he didn't embrace it. And he then went on his own way, which finally led to destruction. And so I ask you the question, simply this. If God has told you as an individual or as a church fellowship that there is something that he wants you to do, there's something he wants you to be part of in your life, Have you just acknowledged it or have you embraced it? One of the most amazing experiences I had some years ago was that I was preaching at a church in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Now this church was meeting in a hired hall and I'd never seen them before. I didn't even know they existed and I was asked to go and preach there and I went there No idea where they were at or what was going on there. All I knew was that when I got there, the church was full. There were no seats left, full of young people, mums and dads, older people. It was packed. And so I preached the word that God had put on my heart. And then I sat down. And um, one of the elders got up behind me and he said, Friends, God has spoken to us this evening about how we've gone on in this church. And we need to put that right now. So he turned to some worship leader and said, So will you come and continue the rest of this service? Because we, the elders, are going back into the other part of the building to fall on our faces before God. And after a while, a lot of choruses, I must admit, we sang, they came back out. And the leading elder said, Friends, you heard God's word tonight. We don't know this guy. We've never seen him before, but we know he's brought us God's word. And God is saying to us, Stop messing about and build this new church you've got the land stop messing about build the church and I thought wow this is this is amazing about 12 months later I had a phone call can you come back to Northern Ireland for the opening of our new church but you see you know I'd done my job and uh There was no need to go back, and God made sure I didn't go back because I had another engagement, and I couldn't be there, as they asked. But I did have a report of how they got that new place open 
And God is working in a mighty way there. And all my part was just simply to embrace the word that God had given me up there at 41 Chai Close, take it to Northern Ireland with no idea how it would be received or how it would work out and just deliver it and then walk away. But they knew it was God that had spoken and they acted. They embraced what God has said. Well, it's challenging all this stuff and it's very challenging. But you know, we are living in days when we need to stand. We need to stand in faith, don't we? Because, of course, if we look physically around us, often we'll see we can't afford to do it or there are problems with planning or, or I, I'm not qualified to do that. We'll always find reasons why. But if we embrace it, that means that there's spiritual sight involved because we then see a God who moves mountains. We see a God who supplies every need according to his abundant riches in glory. So this night, we've heard God's word, and I know that in Great Park's chapel, you receive God's word joyfully, and I know that if God has spoken to you particularly about something this night, that now you will know that indeed, if you stand firm in your faith, you will always stand and you will glorify God in doing that. But if you don't stand, then the rot will set in, and the foundation will begin to sink, and only God knows what the end of that might be. So let's resolve this night, having been able to break bread together and understand afresh what it cost the Lord to give us eternal life, let's be determined to go out there, as Paul said to the church at Ephesus, and put on the whole armor of God, and having done all that, to stand. Amen.